It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Hey, everybody. Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. Hope you are having a great day, and I am so thrilled to have you here. If you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you so much for joining us today. We have an awesome show for all of you out there who are fur moms, fur dads, have pet babies. We're going to be talking all about the joy and the power of pets. Personally, I have been a fur mom, fur moms that we say for probably the last couple of decades. I have had a huge variety of animals and they have had such a huge impact on my life. And I think one of the things that's so interesting is that there's been such an uptick of people having pets since COVID. Uh, about, I guess, back in September, I was in New York City and I was just amazed, like everybody had a dog. And I was on the, uh, I guess, what used to be Hell's Kitchen, sort of midtown west on the west side. And there were all of these like pet boutiques and various kinds of like pet play places and just pets were everywhere. Um, and according to a 2021-2022 survey conducted by the American Pet Products Association, they found that 70% of households own a pet. And among the 70%, there are 69 million U.S. households that own a dog compared to 45.3 million households that own a cat. So more of us are uh, have dogs and cats. But what's so fascinating is that according to a Forbes survey, 78% of pet owners acquired pets during the pandemic compared to only 17% of pet owners adopting a new pet before 2020. So I think that we were really lonely. We needed like physical touch. We needed like comfort. We needed a source of unconditional love, support, comfort. And there's just so much amazing research that Pets do it all. They reduce loneliness. They um, increase feelings of social support. They boost our mood. They decrease stress. They decrease anxiety. They improve heart health and they help kids with emotional and social skills. And today we're talking with two animal experts who are going to share their passion for pets. We're talking with animal communicator, psychic and medium, Nancy Mello and pet therapy dog advocate, Larry Grogan. And they're going to help you learn how to better understand and connect with your pets and even inspire you to learn how to work with your pet to help others. And as someone who teaches self-compassion is really interested in neuroscience. I'm a little bit of a neuroscience geek. It's so interesting. Just staring at your dog actually increases your level of oxytocin, which is the mammalian chemical of care and connection. And it increases oxytocin for your dog too. And it's so interesting because humans and dogs actually co-evolved together approximately 33,000 years ago. Um, what's I think started happening, the general theory is that like dogs were hanging outside the tribe where people were, you know, habitating and they were kind of getting the refuse, the garbage that people were taking outside, you know, the campfire. And over time, they slowly got like closer and closer to the people. 
And what happened is, you know, I think people really discovered and dogs discovered that, you know, we could really cohabit very successfully together. So, you know, the, the archaeological records beginning about 15,000 years ago clearly show that dogs were super important to people. And some people even theorize that they were one of the reasons that um, sapiens became the dominant species of um of humanoids that were around at the time dogs were our sentinels they were our shepherds our hunting partners these days they help us with therapy they're our dearest friends and they even can detect cancer so it's amazing i know myself i have a I like to call my current uh pet baby rosie she's like the goldilocks of dogs she's a border collie and I actually was so fortunate to have her in my life because my fiance can already had her. So I got this beautiful three-year-old gorgeous border collie. Border collies are an amazing breed. They need a ton of exercise. So she keeps me in shape. She loves to climb trees. She literally can like jump up like 13 feet. She thinks she can get the squirrels, but she's cool. I called her the Goldilocks of my do of dogs because She's a great size. She's like 35 pounds. So she's not too big. She's not too small. She's not too barky, but she's a fantastic watchdog. If anybody comes up the driveway or cars go by, she's always letting us know. She is um, so affectionate, but she's not emotionally needy. You know, as long as she's got stuff to do and exercise, she is an awesome, awesome dog. So I'm really looking forward to diving right in with our next guest, Nancy Mello, and getting some tips on how I can be a better fur mom and learn to communicate with Rosie. And if you're watching, um, Nancy has got her cat there, which is awesome. I love cats too. I think cats are just such an easy pet. I had a beautiful uh, fur baby cat, Athena, prior to Rosie, who is just so intuitive and wonderful. So let me introduce Nancy Mello uh, for you. She has been called amazing, absolutely incredible, spot on. You saved my life. Those are a few of the things people have used to describe her uh, and their her client's experience. She is a psychic medium, an animal intuitive, an animal communicator, and a clairvoyant who has worked with pets and people in over 62 countries and founded over 121, uh, found over 121 pets since March of 2020. She has been featured in Cosmopolitan UK, the Washington Post and Dog Star Magazine for her work with end of life pets. And she has a mission to fund scientific research to understand how those with intuitive abilities use their brain differently. And she's going to share both how she became a psychic and also she's going to give us some ideas about what we can do to connect more fully with our pets. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Nancy. So good to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. And who are you with today? For those of us who are watching on, you know, on YouTube and the Facebook Live, who do you have so there? This is Prim, one of our two cats. So we have Prim and then her sister is Katniss. So she is a tortoiseshell and uh, tortie. And uh, in every sense of the word, she has tortitude. So if you were watching live, you might have seen me kind of furrow my brows a little bit when uh, Dr. Ellen, you said that cats were easy because if anyone's ever owned a tortie, they are not easy, huh, kitten? So uh, they, they, they're, they're a lot of fun. Um, but yes, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here and, and welcome your, your cat as well. So I'm curious, you know, we've got kind of two threads going here, your connection with animals and also your understanding as a psych and I was psychic and I was doing some research on you and realized 
you actually come from a line of people who have intuitive gifts. Tell us a little bit about how you discovered your psychic and intuitive abilities. You know, I was, I was six years old and uh, my grandmother had recently passed and I was as six-year-olds do. I was trying to remember her and, and I, I remember just thinking, oh, she, she had, she had passed and it was now Christmas. And I was, oh, she, she gave me these, these toys in the eighties. They were called Omegles. They were called, they were like big building blocks, but you could put them together. And, and I said, oh, she gave us, she gave me Omegles. And immediately I heard in my head, clear as day, all you remember about me are those expletive, expletive Omegles. And I was like, so I ran and I told my mom, 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 I just heard grandma in my head. And this is what she said. And my mom took one look at me and said, okay, and uh, marched us off to the doctor. And uh, that led to the next 12 years of being under a lot of psy psychiatric care, a lot of uh, medications. I think, you know, at least 20 different medications, lots of wonderful, in quotation, diagnoses, uh, anything from bipolar to borderline schizophrenia. And, uh, it was a, it was a, a tough time to be a child, especially in the, in the early eighties, when you have these abilities. And it was interesting because, uh, you know, we, we grew up, I grew up in a very small town in Northern California. Both sides of my family are farmers. I am 50% Portuguese. So my family, uh, my family is very traditional, uh, only the second, third generation here, uh, on the mainland in, in, in the States. And, so of course, when word got around that I was different in the small town of 700, it was a lot of backlash. And I, you, you know, uh, Catholicism told me I was crazy. Catholicism told me I was, I had demons in me and lots of, uh, lots of unpleasant memories, I would say. Uh, interestingly enough, throughout all of this, throughout all the treatments, throughout all, all of, of this, of, of the, the care that I was given, my abilities never stopped. It just kind of, they just kind of went in a box. I'll never forget, uh, after one of my, uh, suicidal attempts, uh, because of course I thought I, you know, there was something wrong with me. And I remember writing in my journal and saying, you know, I'm still hearing the voices as I called them, but I know they're not real now. And I wrote that down and immediately I heard in my head, we are real. So for a 16 year old to hear that, it was like, oh my God, you know, um, it, it, it took me honestly until I reached my midlife to really come to terms with it, uh, come to, come to terms with, with who I am as a person, all of this information about my coming from a line of it, that stuff was all hidden to me, uh, even hidden to some of my family. I didn't know my, my great, my great, great grandfather was, uh, uh, a founder of a healing church in actually where uh, Anaheim is now in Southern California. But I learned that from ancestry.com. Honestly, uh, this was history that I don't think my family wanted to bring forth. We didn't, they didn't want to encourage it. Uh, my great grandfather. So his son was uh, had shock treatments and, and went into a psychiatric hospital. And this is in the early 1900s. So again, you had this, this wonderful line but this information was hidden until much later. I'll never forget when I was 18, my, my aunt, my mom's sister took me out for lunch and said, you know, those abilities, I have them too, but we keep them quiet. So in other words, I was taught that it was only acceptable if I didn't talk about it, if I didn't express it. 
Wow, that's an incredible story. And I'm so sorry for what you went through. And it is really true. Parents don't know what to do. And they think that it's maybe schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or all kinds of things. So I'm so glad that you were able to overcome that. How did you rip the mask off? You know, I was living the cookie-colored life. I, I I was on my second marriage. I call my first marriage my starter marriage. Uh, I, I was on my second marriage to an active duty service member. And I was playing the part. I thought that if I just did all of the right things that I would be happy. I still suffered from horrendous anxiety and depression. And, and I, every couple of years I would attempt suicide again. I would try and give up because I always just felt innately like I did not belong, that there was something innately wrong with me because I, I became the friend that would know things for the people that I would share it with. And so it, again, it became this, it was like I was wearing a cloak the whole time. Uh, for anyone that's familiar with, with uh, military and families, you are taught to not upset the, the service member, to not do anything to rock the boat literally and figuratively, that you do not you do not cause anything to cause our military member stress because then that hurts the needs of the military. So it was very hush hush. I remember when I was dating my, my, my husband, I, I told him at one point, I have these abilities and he's like, yeah, okay. Cause he was an engineer. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, so anyway, so it, uh, it took me going and, and uh, attempting suicide. Actually, I went to go throw myself in front of a train and I had on my favorite dinosaur Santa hat pajamas. And I realized I just couldn't live with myself anymore with this, with these, again, going back to these abilities of knowing that I had them, of knowing that I knew things. I knew things about my kids. I knew things about the animals. I knew things, but my whole life I'd been convinced that it was utterly wrong. And every example of what a psychic was, or forget what an animal communicator was, because we didn't even talk about those, but what a psychic was, was Miss Cleo, right? That, that's all we knew was this right. ethereal, ethereal kind of person. And here I am, you know, a marathon. Like 1-800-PSYCHIC, right? Yeah, like I'm very, like I trip over my own shoes. Like, come on. Like, I'm so not, you know, this this beautiful, graceful, even though that's what my name means, ironically, you know, this beautiful, graceful being. Like I'm I'm chaos. I'm I'm a klutz. I am so beyond anything. And 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 I I remember sitting there in 20 degree weather. It's we're actually coming up on my four-year anniversary. And I sat there in the dark two o'clock in the morning, I hadn't taken my phone and I'm sitting there waiting for the train to come. And I just, I, I couldn't do it. I just, I just started screaming in the air. Why, why am I like this? Why? And I heard the answer because you need to do this. And I just said, you've picked the wrong person universe. Like you've picked it. Uh, I start yelling at my aunt who had since passed. I, I said, I know you're here and I could feel her. And I just said, but I don't, I don't want this. And I just felt her hands on me saying, you need to do this. And I said, I'm introverted. I hate rejection. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm a military spouse. Like I am trying to play by the rules. And the universe is saying, throw that out the window. And it was around that time that I realized I had a choice. I really did. I, I could either throw myself in front of a train and, 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 and that would be that. And my kids would be okay and life would go on. But if I could help one person, one person, then, then all of that crap that I went through would be worth it. So I turned around and I went home. My spouse was waiting up for me. Uh, and he said, you need help. And I said, yeah, I do. I went to co call my, uh, my, my counselor, uh, to, to get committed somewhere. And I just had this brainstorm. 
I just knew what I needed to do. So my spouse went back to bed when he was ensuring that I was safe and I was okay. And instead I went and researched cheapest websites <laughs> and I spent a hundred dollars on a website and I put it under a pseudonym the first uh, year I was, I, I didn't, because I didn't want to hurt my spouse. Again, I didn't want to hurt the career. And he woke up and I said, Hey honey, I've just spent a hundred dollars on a website. I need to do this. And he looked at me and he said, okay. And he turned around and walked away. And I'm sure he thought I'm never going to see that money again. Okay. What you know? And, uh, within months of starting a website and starting to help people, uh, my depression and anxiety, while it didn't completely vanish, it lifted to very normal levels that a, a mom, that a spouse would, would feel for, a you know, what, what, what were you, and this is of course, pre COVID anxiety levels. So uh, the rest is history. You know, I, I, um, very early on in my journey being open, I, I knew, I knew that I just, as soon as I started helping people, as soon as I started talking about it and, and I, I, I lost some family. I'm going to be honest. We don't speak to a large portion of our family of both sides of our family to this day, because it is easier for people to, to turn their backs on something that they are afraid of, or that makes them uncomfortable. And that's okay. And, and I used to take that very personally. But I realize that it's, I, I know as long as I'm doing this, and I made myself a promise in the very beginning, that as long as I did this to the best of my abilities, if I did that, I was doing this to help people, that I'm not doing this to get a second house in Maine, that I'm not doing this to go, you know, whatever, that I'm doing this for the good of people, that I'm, I'm checking my ego. As long as I'm doing this to help people and animals, then I will continue to do it. And as long as I can honor my gift, I will do it but I have to make sure it's on my terms, which means I'm going to be completely honest and vulnerable. I'm not gonna give you a facade. I'm not Miss Cleo. I, I literally just posted a clip on Instagram last night. I don't know if anyone caught it. In my stories, I had a client say, I, I'm not brave. I, I can't anything that, if, if, I'm, if I think I'm gonna get embarrassed, I can't do it. And I turned around and I, we just got back from our first trip since COVID. And I was singing karaoke very off key. And I said, if you can do it, if I can do this, you can do it. And I was sharing with the world a karaoke version, very, very off key. In fact, people actually left when I was singing and I, and I admitted it because this is me. And this is the only way I can do this, that I can fully help people. Is well, I want to just interrupt you because I want to get to the, to your, your ability. But like, first of all, I just super, um, thank you for sharing because I always tell women at midlife, it's like the thing you've got to do is you've got to be authentic. And the world teaches us that you have to like dress a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way. And we spend our whole lives creating, like, as you said, this facade, I did the same thing, you know, having the perfect family and what I did for a living. And I had more, you know, getting degree after degree. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you go, I can't live like this anymore. So thank you for having the bravery to share that. Um, and I want to get a little bit into the, you know, animal communication piece. How did you realize that your gift was to be, use your psychic clairvoyant abilities to connect with animals? The same way where I, we grew up on a farm and I connected with animals. And my mom even said animals that need help seem to find you. So it was in this, in this uh, journey of my website and starting to help people, you know, it was like kind of, 
pulling off the Band-Aid with, with telling people that I could talk to dead people. And then after about a year and a half, it was like, yeah, I can talk to animals too. <laughs> I got, and so, so it was that. And what I found uh, interesting is, is again, you, you are called where you are needed is where you'll be called and you just can't resist it. Right. The more you resist it, the more the universe is going to be on your door. And so I was, it was some random February, right? Actually right before COVID. And I got a message saying we've lost a dog. And I said, I don't do that. And they said, well, he's, she's, di or he's diabetic, please. We, anything. And I said, okay. And, uh, we found him, we found him, a a, a day later and, uh, Ollie is, is my first dog that I found. And, and even when I did that, I was like, holy crow. Oh, okay. Okay. So again, it's, it's speaking with animals. It was because it was called to me. So for instance, the, the first animal that I helped uh, cross over, it was a client's dog that was ready to go. And she wanted and said, does she have anything to say to me? And I started realizing when I talked to Cleo, the first dog I spoke to was that Cleo had things to say. Cleo wanted to go chase the seagulls on the beach one last time. Cleo wanted certain things done before she passed. She wanted to pass in the yard. There were certain things that she wanted. And so it went from Cleo, just like with Ollie, to another animal, to another animal. And it's, so I, I truly feel like, like ministers or like other people, I truly feel that this is a calling that I am being called to do it with animals and people. And so everything that happens, every kind of different kind of little bit of a, a, a V in the road, as far as how to help animals, it's, it's truly because it's being asked of me. And, and how I, do you, now I'm curious how you communicate with animals because animals don't have language the way that we do. So is it, do you, do you get like a smell or a vision or a sound? How does the, the communication, it's not like the voice that you had in your younger days. Actually, it is very, does it show up? It's, it's a train of thought. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's in my, it's, it sounds just like uh, my consciousness, except I'm not the one telling you to open the blinds because you haven't opened them since yesterday. I just got off the phone with some cats and they, uh, a cat and the cat said, I, I need, I need the hanging balls. The cat kept saying, you just, you, you moved it, the hanging balls. Well, it turns up, they just, they just took down their Christmas tree. So I'm, I'm not thinking about hanging balls, right? I don't know what ha hanging balls, but it was, they were talking about the, the ornaments. They wanted the ornaments back on the tree. So it, I will hear it just like a stream of consciousness. So just like I need milk and eggs at the grocery store. That's how I hear animals as well. So it depends. I don't like to use an intelligence as, as a, as a word, but uh, the more consciousness they have, the more uh, perhaps I'll get uh, images similar to a daydream and words. So for instance, horses, I'll get a lot of images and words and, and, and descriptive. Whereas I've talked to fish and fish, I'll get images, skinks. Uh, I love working with uh, bearded dragons, beardies, uh, lots mm -hmm. of images, but they still feel 100% they feel there was a skink that that I was speaking to and I'd actually been speaking to the dog and they were like, well, can you speak to the skink? And I always say, I'll try. And the skink said that there was a plant that I didn't know was there because I didn't see the, the, the container that the plant was blocking the TV and the skink liked the, like the box, something about like the box with the lights. And I was like, like the box with lights, the TV, the skink wanted to see the lights. Again, this is stuff that I, it, I hear it like a train of thought and images are like a daydream. 
So if someone's listening and they want to connect and communicate more with their pets, where do we start? So I want to communicate with Rosie. May I get a sense that, you know, she's she's really clear. She'll stare at the the uh, the basket that contains her toys. She loves to play tug. She'll come over and stick her nose, you know, under my arm when she wants to be pet. She'll, you know, jump on the bed when she wants to be comforted and wants to hang out with us while we're sleeping. Beyond that, how do I get, you know, into that? Because I believe everybody's got intuitive psychic yeah, abilities. Oh, yeah. It's just that we don't develop them. But if somebody's listening going, God, I really want to understand my my pet. You Where do we start? Listen. Just listen. So so I have an exercise that I tell people to do is, is you can uh, you find a quiet room, find, you know, where you're not distracted and you look into their eyes and you start with very basic questions. Are you in pain? Are you hurt? And I actually have like a real short little medita meditations that you can do on my website that, that, that kind of starts this, but it's like, uh, you could just ask her, what do you want? And then trust the answer as, as asinine as it is. If it's, if you see a fish, fish, what the hell, write it down, start writing it down or putting it in your phone, trust the answer that's given. That's, that's, that's it is you just look. And if you don't get anything, then reset come back. Like don't, there's no, but don't put pressure on yourself. I find that, you know, if I went, I'm a psychic, I'm going to, if I did that, I'm not going to hear anything. I, it's very much a flow state similar to meditation where you just allow the thoughts and the images to come. And like one thing you do in meditation is, you know, if, if thoughts are coming, they say, just let them flow like a cloud. Very similar with, with hearing what your animals are saying is you just look at them. Like if I looked at Prim right now and I said, you know, what do you need? The first thing I hear is leave me alone. She's trying to, she's trying to sleep. So the first thing I'm hearing is leave me alone. Right. I didn't, I didn't make that up. I didn't, I didn't say, you know, it's just, it's just what I hear. So it's just looking at them. What do you need? So she's looking at the basket instead of asking, you can ask, I say you can ask them out loud, but try it here. Like look in their eyes and say, what do you need? And if you don't get anything, show her in your mind, you can picture, let's say she has a red ball, show her the red ball. Do you want this? And trust, yes or no. First answer you get, yes or no. Do you want the yellow banana? Yes, no. You could even do that. But I just think, just go and just say, what do you need? You yeah, can even do this when you're away. When, when I was traveling recently, my kids who get such a kick out of my abilities, they said, well, can you check on the animals? Can you check on the animals? It's a very, very similar premise where you just close your eyes, you connect with them, you say their name and you say, are you okay? Uh, you can send messages to them. I will be home after two, you can use a visual, two darks, two nights. Uh, I will be home when the leaves are falling. Use a visual. It, it, it can help. Yeah. Animals are pretty amazing. I always hear these stories about how animals know when people, their people are coming home. So they'll be like waiting at the door, you know, 15 minutes before the owner gets there. They know that. So how do, you know, we've talked a little bit about how we read animals. How do they read us? Very similar where it's a mixture of body language. So scientifically you can say, it, so for instance, like they've proven with the, with the time thing that they can tell time by, by the sense of smell leaving. So how can they tell what's going on with us? It's, it's, it's a mixture of in intuition themselves, ESP, if you want, where they can actually tell, like, this is what you need. And also body language behavior, um, again, hormonal changes. There's lots of things that we don't even do. Uh, it's interesting when I'm working with pets, uh, like they, like, I remember when I was pregnant, 
uh, we went and went, swam with the dolphins. I remember asking, and this is before I exercised any of my abilities. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant. Is that going to be okay? And they said, no, the dolphins will know you're pregnant before you do. Because again, but it's so, and I don't, and this is where I like to get into the scientific stuff. And I'd love to be able to prove more of what I, I I'm hearing. And this is where I love, I always have an open door for like other pets to talk about or other vets, excuse me, I'm hearing my dog bark, other vets to talk about like, how, why am I hearing this or what, what do they mean? But it's, it's again, it's, it's like little slight hormone fluctuations that they can smell or even sounds that they can hear that we can't outside of our range that let them know what we're going through, especially with loss. Like I find, um, and I've been working with this a lot lately where you have one pet that passes and you have one that's at least one that stayed behind. There is a sense of smell that, um, and, and they've said this, there's like a death smell similar where there's a sense of smell where they seem to understand uh, I had talked to a cat yesterday that was terrified that she was going next. And so we had to work and, and say, no, you're strong. Everything's okay. But she was so scared. She, oh my gosh. Because, and I think it's more of a smell. Yeah. Such, such interesting, interesting stuff. So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, to, with Nancy about what we can do to connect with our pets. And then we're also going to talk with Larry Grogan, and he is on a mission to quadruple the number of certified pet therapy teams in the United States. And we've gotten a taste of just how powerful that animal connection is. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rock Your Midlife. It's time to get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson, the Midlife Whisperer. Your midlife roadmap is the blueprint you need to roll with change, transform yourself, and create a fabulous second adulthood. Get answers and solutions for whatever you're up against and transform problems into opportunities. Make your next life chapter your best chapter with Rock Your Midlife every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents dealing with menopause, and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are, and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships 
managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. If you want to get in touch with me, just head on over to themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And we were having such an amazing time talking with Nancy Mello about how she communicates with animals. And now we're going to keep on the uh, the pet theme. And we are going to talk with Larry Grogan. He is president of an investment firm. He's an author. He's a speaker. And he is a pet therapy dog advocate. He's on a mission to quadruple the number of certified pet therapy teams in the United States, which I think is such a powerful mission to have. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Larry. Awesome to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join both of you. Yes, so good to have you. And where in the world are you? I didn't ask you that before we started today. I'm actually on holiday on a tiny little island off the coast of North Carolina called Baldhead Island. Oh, nice, nice. Well, before we dive into what pet therapy is, how it can help people, what we can do if we're thinking about, you know, having becoming a team with our pet, I know you've got a question for Nancy. So go ahead and fire away. Yeah, Nancy, number one, amazing story, and I'm grateful. Uh, that you're still with us, because I think what you're doing is absolutely beautiful. What I want to understand is, do animals reach out to you? I want to pause because I, I want to say this, uh, not correctly, but but yes and no. So I, I joke that if I was on all the time, I would be exhausted. I joke that I watch The Real Housewives to decompress and that's how I turn off. Um, that's I love reality TV. That's where I can just, my mind turns off. So they can, I really, I, I'm really very careful about respecting people's privacy. Uh, I remember after, unfortunately, when the queen passed not too long ago, I had people reach out and say, talk about the corgis, talk about the corgis. And I said, I, I, I can't, I won't do that. So if they, so for instance, if it's a pet or, or so I have a, a wonderful client that's turned into a friend that has chickens. Uh, she trusts me with everything. And if she's just chatting with me and she talks about, oh, I had to feed them this morning. Oh, I'll hear them immediately. <laughs> I'll hear them chirp in and say, we want the worms or we want. So yes, but it's, it's almost after, after that permission, but I do like, I'll do duets on, on TikTok and, and, and on social media. I, I want to be very careful because I, I never want to reveal anything. I'm not one, my, my, actually my spouse calls it psychically handsy when I have a couple drinks and then I go, Hey, your dad has a message for you. <laughs> very similar where I, I'm very careful to respect people's privacy. So it hasn't happened yet in the sense of, 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 of a dog down the street. However, if someone stopped me and said, Oh my God, my dog's hurt, blah, blah, blah. Yes but I'm very careful about ensuring 
that whatever I do doesn't violate the first and foremost is their trust with their owner. I will, I will not get in the way of that. And, they, and I have to have permission from the owner because I'm connecting with the pet through the owner. It's very similar to wild animals. Whereas with wild animals, I can get a sense of, it's very much more instinctual. I'm, I'm scared. I'm running. I'm this, but with animals, it's more, again, that working with that connection from the person. So interesting. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about pet therapy, which I'm so excited to get into. I really, I had a, I had a Portuguese water dog a number of years ago, and I was like, she was like a Kleenex with paws. And I was thinking Sizzle would have been the perfect dog to be a pet therapy dog. Actually, the only Portuguese water dog who didn't like to swim, she hated to swim, loved people, like would just bond with anybody. My current dog is, I think she's a little too high energy to do that, but let's talk about what exactly is pet therapy. Well, pet therapy is the interaction of someone in need, let's say, and the animal itself. So for us, Scrappy and I were a team for eight years and we went to a children's hospital. So we would visit with the children first, then the medical staff, and then anyone else that wanted just to love on Scrappy a little bit. And what that does, you mentioned oxytocin earlier, and that's a hormone that the body releases when we're relaxed. And that's really the idea, to allow that animal to take your mind off of whatever is troubling you, whether it's pain, suffering, something mental, whatever the case might be, and put you in a different frame of mind. And when that oxytocin begins to flow throughout your body, there's other heart hormones as well. You just find a new state of being and you become a little bit relaxed and you begin to um, just accept what's around you at that point in time. But that's the beauty of pet therapy and, and dogs in particular for me are, are really what um, is, is the best medicine. It's so interesting. And it's kind of bridging the conversation we had with Nancy, because there's so much incredible research, literally playing with your pet shifts your vibration. So we can like talk about yeah. the woo of it, but we can talk about how it raises oxytocin. We've talked about lowers cortisol. So essentially what you're doing, and I'll tell people all the time, if you're feeling out of sorts, you want to shift your vibe for me, it's, it's music, dancing and playing with pets or, you know, or getting out in nature. But when, what happens is you go from the parasympathetic fight and flight response where you're all stressed out, you're feeling all out of sorts, you're anxious, and you go into the, the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest nervous system. And there is a ton of research to actually show that blood pressure is reduced, cortisol levels are reduced, oxytocin is increased. So this isn't, you know, we're, I love how, you know, woo is starting to overlap with the scientific research. So we've talked a lot about, you know, medical benefits, about stress reduction, helping your heart, helping your, uh, helping you deal with stress. Um, how do you, uh, become a, a pet therapy team? Cause I mean, I, I played with this a little bit. It felt like the, um, the work that needed to be done was, it was pretty hard. So if someone's thinking and listening, going, I've got a good dog, you know, I've got one of those, you know, I think labs are really awesome. I would think there's certain breeds are better. How do we start exploring that? What are the best breeds? Can you use other animals? Fill us in, Larry. Yeah, I, I teach people there's four phases to becoming a, a team and team is the important part. 
First is to evaluate. Is your dog friendly, not only to humans, but to other animals? Does it get excited around human beings? And just make sure that that attraction exists. The second one is to train. Pet therapy is not as difficult as a lot of people think it is, but it is time consuming because you must train your dog. And the training for pet therapy is really more basic obedience than anything else. Sit, stay, come. There are some tweaks that have to be taken into consideration. So for a lot of dogs, one of the training exercises would be they would put a hot dog in the floor, on the floor, and you'd have to walk within a few feet of the hot dog. And what they don't want to see is the dog lunge for the hot dog. So you teach your dog to leave it, leave it, leave it as you go walking by. And hopefully they'll just ignore it over the course of time, but it's just like anything else. It's repetition of that exercise. For Scrappy, her biggest challenge was called separation, where someone had to hold her and I had to leave the room out of sight for three to four minutes. And they don't want the dog to get over anxious and begin to cry or try to get away from whoever's holding them. So what I would do with her is I'd take a friend and we'd go to a Lowe's hardware store. And my friend would hold her. I'd walk down the aisle and then go around the corner and look at my clock for three or four minutes and then come back to the other side of the, of the aisle. And that did a couple of things. Number one, it just reinforced the fact that I'm going to disappear for a little bit. But the most important thing is I'm going to come back. And so what you're doing is you're building the confidence in your dog to understand that, yeah, I'm going to be out of sight for a while, but I'm going to come right back to you. So there's no need to panic. And so that was really some of the challenging things that we had to overcome. Um, but for Scrappy, she was that type of dog that just wanted to please. She wanted to make sure that I was happy with her. And so that was never a major problem, but it was just one of those things from a training perspective that we had to overcome. But the most important thing is really the obedience. You know, your dog must stay with you. You're always on a leash with your dog, um, even when you're visiting. And so those are the important things to understand that it's really just a lot of obedience. They'll throw some quirky things in once in a while, um, whether it's the hot dog or separation or banging pots and pans. Um, you know, for us, because we were in a hospital, sometimes alarms go off. And so they don't want the dog to be afraid when they hear things like that. And so you have to know where you're going to be visiting and what the expectations are. And then once you go through the training, the certification process is just validating all the training that you did. And then the last phase is to engage get out there and be a part of that community because the the demand is so high, but the supply of pet therapy teams is extremely low. Good tip. So make sure you've got a dog, first of all, that is is up for, is the right, right temperament. Like I would yeah. say, my dog Sizzle yeah. would have been great. Rosie, not so much. She likes people, but she's just too high energy. She just like, if there's a squirrel, well, forget about it. Um, and in and time then, that may change. Yeah, she so gets, it may, it may be an age thing as well. 
and then, you know, do the basic obedience. And I know you have to pass an exam. So you mentioned why, um, why is there such a demand? Where do we need more pet therapy? Well, the answer to the first question, why, is a lot of what we've just come out of, and that was the COVID experience. Um, and you mentioned at the very beginning, the demand for pets just really accelerated during those COVID years because people were lonely. And that was one of the solutions for ourselves to overcome our own loneliness, our own anxiety, was to have a pet because that pet requires us to take care of something. And so that animal now has expectations of us. And so that really hasn't changed too much. If you think about it, particularly on the school age children and, and young adults, you know, there's nearly 20 million college students in the United States. And of that 20 million, 65% have expressed overwhelming anxiety. And so these are the, the young adults that came out of COVID, and now they're entering school systems that are different, it's unique, it's more demanding. But during that COVID period, they lost some of their socialization skills. You know, the education process was completely different, and now they're going back to a more traditional but an even more demanding uh, educational system um, at the college level. So this anxiety that college students have is real. And unfortunately, most college students will, or college universities and universities will say they have pet therapy, but they typically only show up twice a year. Hmm. And that's during exams. And that's the perfect solution if you think college students only have anxiety during exam time. And we know that's just not correct. So what I'm encouraging colleges and universities to do is to implement a full-time pet therapy program. And in order to do that, we need the participation of students that have dogs, faculties that have dogs, and staff members that have dogs. And so I've been visiting universities to, number one, introduce them to the concept of pet therapy, why it's so important, but also to explain why they need to do it themselves because a campus is a unique facility. It's got its own personality. And so what we wanna do is make sure that whatever design we come up with from a pet therapy full-time program is that it's gonna fit their community, fit their campus needs and interests so that they can then begin to do it on a much more full-time basis instead of just twice a year. Yeah, that's a beautiful vision. I'm far away from college, but I have a son in college now and, and my eldest also went through and it really would make such a huge difference. I remember when I was in college, they didn't allow pets. Like you couldn't have a cat. I think, I think you could have, you know, you could get away with having maybe a rodent or a, you know, having a gerbil <laughs> without them knowing about it, but it is um, something that needs to be changed. So I'm curious, you're at midlife, right? So when did this incredible vision happen? I feel like you are really have this beautiful mission to quadruple the number of certified teams in the United States. How did that come about for you? Well, it's, it's been a long process. Um, you know, Scrappy passed away in 2019. And through her passing, I started writing notes. 
And then those notes became letters and those letters became stories. The, the writing became my therapy. And I shared some of these ideas with friends. They encouraged me to publish the book. And um, since then, since the book has been published, I've just been doing research and finding out what the needs are, where they lie, and where we can have the greatest impact. And so I was in Denver, Colorado with um, a pet therapy organization out there called Pet Partners. And the lady that runs that organization said, Larry, she goes, we're one of the largest in the country. We have 300 team members. And I said, wow, that's huge. She goes, I could have 1,300 and still be turning requests away. Wow. And so when I began to understand that and asking where are you turning people away, it was really in large population centers, college campuses, large uh, corporations are being turned away too because they wanna focus on where, the, where they can have an immediate impact and in a much more smaller community. So that's what inspired me to begin thinking about where we can have the biggest impact, where the greatest need is, because in addition to a 65% overwhelming anxiety feeling that students have, there's also a 40% national dropout rate. So if we can incorporate these kind of programs, number one, we can heal these students, make them feel better about themselves and life in general, and maybe we can retain them as students. We don't want these individuals to drop out of school. We need to keep them in school. And I think pet therapy can be part of that solution as well. It is also a wonderful thing if people are listening, volunteering makes you feel so good. And I know, I would say pretty much most of my midlife clients have a dog. <laughs> um, and just people are always thinking, what can I do? And the re there's so much research around volunteering, around being kind, you know, beyond what we know about connecting with with our uh, animals. So what are some of the best breeds? If people are listening and going, well, I don't know if I've got the right dog for it. How do we sort of figure out, you know, like I'm saying with Rosie, because she's super high energy. She's a great dog. She likes people. She doesn't have an aggressive bone in her body. She's super sweet, but she is sort of high energy. And she, she knows basics. Like she'll come, she kind she'll sit when she's in the mood, but how do we know if we've got the right temperament, the right breed or some breeds better than others? I think that's a great question. Number one, I tell people there is no perfect breed. I think all dogs and all animals have a place and a purpose, but the temperament is the main thing. And even for your high strung dog, one of the unique areas that pet therapy is gaining in popularity is sports teams. So university sports teams, some of them have their own pet therapy dog. The University of North Carolina baseball team has a golden retriever. So in your situation, maybe being able to go out onto that field and throw a ball and Frisbee. just have a retrieve. <laughs> yeah, just have a retrieve it and come back yeah. is going to be sufficient to, you know, entertain make them feel better, take some of that stress level off of their shoulders as well. But uh, I just think any, any animal that has a calm temperament that is going to be around, whether it's children or seniors, um, it is really just going to be ideal. I don't think know that there's a breed. Probably the most popular breeds, though, are going to be the, the Labradors, the Golden Retrievers, 
Um, that type of breed is probably the most common that you see. Huskies, I see a lot of Huskies in pet therapy as well. Um, Scrappy was a five pound mix of a toy poodle chihuahua. And she sat on my arm. And so that was the best way for her to get around and uh, be petted. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for inspiring us. I've got a, I've got some food to think about with that. I know I've seen also, I do some hospice volunteering and their pets are really powerful there where people aren't feeling like they're getting cuddled and touched. And fortunately the hospice house where I volunteer actually allows people to have their pets, which is, is super cool. So we have a couple minutes left. Yeah. Nancy, I would love for you to ask Larry a question. Do you have a question for Larry? It's interesting with the sports teams, it, it, and I had to look up the name on my phone. Uh, my spouse is an alumni of Texas A&M, and they have Reveille, the, the yep. dog mascot. Uh, and, yeah. And, yeah, and he was in the Corps of the Dets, and they actually, want, uh, part of the Corps or section of the Corps is responsible for taking care of her. And, you know, this dog is so loved that, I mean, uh, they they talk about them. All, they talk about this dog all the time, and so it makes me think how you know. I think this information has been there, but you are get you are bringing it to the masses. I was really curious to see if 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 the people that you have worked with in the therapy field, with for instance, like students, have you ever had someone come back to you and say, "This dog changed my life because of this dog." I decided to go into veterinary medicine or, or whatever. Have you, have you had people come back to you and say, Oh my God, this is, this changed my life. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's not just one, it's not two, honestly, hundreds of students have made this kind of comment, whether it's someone that had to convince her school administration, she needed a dog for emotional purposes. So this emotional support dog, they granted her permission to keep it on campus with her, go to class with her. Um, that's a little bit different than just general pet therapy, but it's just that human animal bond relationship. And many students have said, not only has it saved my life, it's made my life better because they were willing to literally just let themselves emotionally undressed. And we're beginning to see where therapists are using dogs and animals in their offices because they find that someone is more willing to talk to an animal than a human sometimes, particularly when it comes to sensitive issues that are troubling them inside and they don't know how to express. And so the animal becomes that medium, that that place where the human has the opportunity just to really open up and it accelerates the healing process. That's the other interesting things that the therapists are saying too, is that, you know, they can come and quote, sit on the couch all day long. But when that animal comes into the room, the dynamics change and the, you know, the, the atmosphere in the room changes. And when I make talks, that's one of the things I try to do is I say, you know, we could talk about pet therapy all day long. I'm happy to do that. But the best thing to do is experience it. So I coordinate with local pet therapy groups, and they then enter the room. And you can just sense the, the change in the atmosphere. And, and I like to tell people about a pet food commercial. And the pet food commercial shows a little girl 
in a hospital bed with her mother. And the nurse comes to the door and says, or the, the little girl stretches her arm out. She goes, I know, more therapy. And she goes, no, we're going to do something a little different this time. And in comes the dog right up to the bedside. And her face, it, it's just magical. It's absolutely beautiful. But that's what happens with pet therapy. You'll never have an experience where someone says, oh, no, get that away from me. It's quite the opposite. It's very engaging. It's very loving. It's very sharing. And um, therapists and students alike love this opportunity to make sure that they can participate in. Yeah, and so, if I could, oh, go ahead, Nancy. Can I ask one more question? And it just came to me while you're speaking. Was it, what other area do you see a need for it? So we're talking about schools and, you know, police have them now, you know, other areas, but what is one area, if you could anywhere that you could have animals, where would you want, where would you, where would you put them? Well, for me, I'm, I'm focusing on two areas and I've explained one college campuses. The other area that I'm going to focus on, and this is really the answer to your question is corporations. Why not have pet therapy at your office? Because as high anxiety as college is, so is the performance in the office. And so if you have that opportunity just to take a few minutes of your day and just kind of, again, have that experience of petting a dog, knowing that your body is really truly going to change inside and then get back to your desk, you're going to become more productive, things are going to evolve a little bit better. Maybe some anxiety between employees is going to divert and uh, just make the whole workplace a little bit stronger. Yeah, wonderful things. It's just so interesting bringing it full circle of how pets make us more human. You know, we are animals ourselves. And I think pets remind us of our humanity and especially these days where there's so much artificial intelligence and so much connection with, I should disconnection with, I guess, our devices where we're on our phone, where we can connect with our pets. So thank you both so much for being here today. I have had such a great time getting to know both of you and your work. Nancy, real quick, where can people connect with you? On my website, nancymello.com. That's M-E-L-L-O.com. I'm on TikTok at nancy.mello and on Instagram, nancymelloofficial. Okay, go to nancymello.com. And Larry, if people want to, they're listening, they're thinking, okay, I'm ready to do this with the Become <laughs> a Pet Therapy team. Where do they reach out to you? Website is the best place. It has the resources and all the social media, but the website address is a tailoflove.com, T-A-I-L, a tailoflove.com. All right, tailoflove.com. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you all for listening. Go hug your pet. Think about becoming a pet therapy team. And I'll catch you next week. I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.